Are you blessed or are you cursed With a strong imagination and a spiritual thirst Do you wanna confide about the darkness inside Come and talk about it on Self Worst Welcome to Self Worst, I'm Brad Pearson This week we're speaking to educator, activist, community organizer, local legends, folk hero, Tiffany Davis. Uh, it's true, though. Everybody in Red Hook knows who Tiffany Davis is. Uh, she is just one of those people uh, that has done so much for the community that we live in. And when I talk about communities, I mean, Red Hook... I have lived in New York for 10 years now and a lot of different neighborhoods all over Brooklyn and no neighborhood I've lived in has felt like more of a community than Red Hook. Um, I'm not sure what it is, uh, if it's that it's sort of cut off by the highway and the, the public transits, uh, people just sort of stick around here and it just sort of seems like its own little island. Um, I don't know what it is. It's got its own weird maritime kind of spirit to it. And um, you know what makes it feel like a community? People like Tiffany Davis. We should all strive to be doing the kind of work that that she does. Um, It's really outstanding. What she does is uh, she runs the Red Hook Art Project, which is a community-based arts education and tutoring program uh, for mostly K through 12 uh, kids in the community um, and the surrounding area, uh, but mostly here in Red Hook. Um, I work for it. I've been teaching art classes there, um, and that's been sort of put on hold um, for the time being, uh, or mostly... uh, transitioned into COVID response uh, in terms of providing people meals, um, getting you know material needs met. Um, but we're going to go into all of that. We're going to talk about all of that. So that's all going to be redundant if I talk about it in the intro. So let's get through this intro. Uh, Patreon.com slash self worst. If you want to kick in a little bit of money, I know times are tight. It's okay. I understand if you can't do it. Um, I'll put my Venmo in there too. That's fine. Um, but really what I want you to do, um, is a, your homework for this episode is to, uh, do something for your neighborhood, for your block, for your building, for your neighborhood, however wide you want the radius to be, do something with your neighbors, with anybody in your community, uh, to help, to help out. Cause we're all, you know, this is a, 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 a <laughs> a trying time, an unprecedented time, all of that shit. So, you know, everybody needs help right now and uh, give some help. Yeah, Uh, let's go. I got nothing else. Let's go to the interview. So my name is Tiffany Davis. I am a single parent of two. I have a 23-year-old and a 20-year-old. Um, my son is an artist. My daughter's also, I would say, a makeup artist. I am also a co-founder and managing director for a nonprofit in the Brooklyn community. The nonprofit is geared towards the arts and music. We believe that art is a basic human 
human right. Everyone should have access. I'm also an entrepreneur. I also consider myself um, a, somewhat of a community activist and supporting a community in different areas where I feel more comfortable, where I feel comfortable. And I'm a family person and love people. I love to serve. You wear a lot of hats. You are one of the busiest people I've ever met, for sure. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit, you know, just uh, broad strokes, uh, however much you want to go into about um, your background and uh, what brought you uh, to where you are. Okay, so my background, I uh, come from a family who struggled um, a lot. I um, come from a home a fatherless home. I do know my dad, but he didn't live in a home. Um, I also come from a home that uh, struggled with a lot of addictions that it impacted me in a very negative way. Um, but I also come from a home that had a lot of love. And as an adult, you, you start to understand things. As a kid, you rebel because you don't understand what you've been born into. So it was difficult and very challenging as a child. I became a mother at the age of 14 years old, which was very challenging. Um, I had to leave school and uh, take care of my child and try to find a job and try to find a home that I felt was secure enough for them to live in. So school wasn't a major thing for me. It was more about uh, finding, making sure my children had food, a, food roof, a roof over their head that I felt was a loving environment. Um, and that was going to nurture their well-being. So I believe becoming a mom at a young age, of course, is very challenging. But I believe that it put me in a better position to understand life because now I was responsible for life. So I had to grow up really fast and really figure out how I was going to protect this little life and nurture his well-being. And then became a mom at the age of 18 to my second child. So that was a very tough time um, being in putting myself through the convent house or shelter systems to f try to find a safe haven for them so they don't have to grow up in the same environment as myself. Um, that was a bit of a struggle. Um, that's one of the things that I didn't want to see happen. As an adult, when you grow up and you accomplish a lot of things, it's one of the things I didn't want to see with our next generation of students. So I knew that I had to step in to try to, try to find spaces and create opportunities for our youth to do things so that they can avoid going down the same path that I went down with becoming a young mom, having to run the streets or potentially have to lay down with somebody to have the food that you need, to have money in your pocket for your children to get what they need. So um, I wanted to uh, help kids avoid that path. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's that's a lot. That is a lot. You You're from New York originally or... Yes, I'm born and raised in Brooklyn, Best-Eye. Mm -hmm. So I went to uh, 324, which is my middle school. So I went to El Mahaj Malik Shabash, uh, PS26, which is my public school. Um, and then high school, I went to Boys and Girls High for a little bit and then transferred out and went to a young mother's school to receive my GD, but wasn't really successful there because of the challenge of being a young mom and not having the right support system. So I got my GED at the age of 34. Wow. And you were, you were doing this all by yourself? Uh, was there anybody, was the father or anybody else helping out with the kids? 
you know, I've been a single mom for 23 years. I supported both my both my children have two different fathers. Um, one of my son's father, which is my son is my oldest. My son's father is, you know, born and raised in Brooklyn. He's living his best life elsewhere and not being a dad that he's supposed to be. Um, and my daughter's father, unfortunately, got wrapped up with the, the young life of MOB, money over bitches, um, and became a huge you know, issue in the streets, and now he's doing 25 years of life. Wow. I mean, that's just, it's, it's really, that is some, that is some tough shit. And that is, that's something Mm -hmm. that me as, you know, like a white dude from the Midwestern suburbs, I, I have no experience with, or, you know, no, no real scope on. So that is, that is some, that is some intense shit that that you have that you have been through, and um, you know, for you to not only do all of that and then do all of that on your own and land on your feet and parlay all of that into um, the life that you have now, but to actively work to spread yourself so thin and, and, and work towards making sure that other people have opportunities that you didn't, um, is, is pretty remarkable. Um, and so what I want to know is, um, what keeps you, what keeps you motivated to do that and not just say like, well, I got mine, so fuck them. I seen how the arts um, and music changed my children's lives. I seen what it did to I seen what it did to my household, and I knew that there were other children like that. And I knew there were other parents, such as myself, who was intimidated by the world because you came from such a struggle place. Um, and once I gained my strength and courage and walked out on faith, I knew that I I had more more to give and more to do. So. You know, I continue to lead by faith, knowing that the work that I'm doing is impactful and is more so needed. And also just showing up for that young girl, which was me, who no one showed up for. Hmm. You know, it's it seems that our society is barely willing to provide anything in terms of material survival for people who uh, are struggling financially, materially. Um, that, that there is an attitude in this country that people who don't have anything somehow deserve to not have those things and that we should, that nobody else should be expected to help them out with basic needs, food, housing, education, things that ought to be provided to everybody. And then on top of Mm -hmm. that, the arts are looked at as something that is frivolous um even even in communities where um everybody's material needs are pretty much provided for i mean you know i went again to a pretty uh uh i don't know middle class uh suburban school and the first thing on the chopping block is always the arts and and, and so you know, it's it's just remarkable how little our society values things like that. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I don't know. Can, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, for me, you know, black women raising a black young man and a black young girl and putting them through the DOE, um, I kind of seen firsthand on what they considered important, what they considered as a luxury for low-income communities. Um, so I've seen a lot of um, music and arts pulled out and yanked out. And for me, I feel um, it takes away the opportunity. It takes away the creativity of the child. It also takes away the voice of the child. And it's bad enough that because of black and brown people who has been enslaved or have been um, at risk of not receiving the proper resources that they need, there's a huge lack in a lot of different things. So that was, a, for me, it's like another way to silence a child who may come from a rough situation who can't really articulate that in front of someone but can create something beautifully that someone can deeply understand and that they for me it's like they cut it intentionally to erase that to not have that child have a voice because they knew if they spoke out loud in a way that's like negative which a teacher may feel like this child is just um you know not following the rules they have a way of expelling that child suspending that child and doing things. So for me, it was like a way of silencing them and a way of making excuses and not to provide the services that the children the children need. Um, to piggyback off of one of the things that you said about people thinking that people who don't have nothing don't deserve nothing, it's, um, it's funny that you said that because that's a question that I ask myself every day. And I know me, I, I put myself through the shelter system to get where I'm at. Um, I went to the shelter, got accepted for housing, and gratefully I'm able, I moved out of housing uh, a year ago, so I'm grateful for that, but I struggled to move out of housing, and I had the income, but they, because I was coming from uh, public housing, there was a huge, uh, like, we don't want you here. You don't qualify. I mean, even if I had- uh, In terms people, of, of renting private apartments? Yeah, in, in terms of renting private apartments. I didn't have people with the same credit score as me, um, the same amount of income in the bank as me, or maybe not have any money in the bank and had their parents uh, pay their um, first month rent and security, and they had no issues with moving into these spaces. Um, so I, I kind of seen the big issue there. So it's like, I know me and I've been working very hard all my life to get to the next level. Even in jobs, I did catering and corporate dining and work for some of the finest corporate places uh, Cooper, uh, Marilyn Lynch, Goldman Sachs, Hot 97, WBLS. And it was very hard to even climb ladders there. And I put years into these companies. So I, the work we I put in, but it's very hard to, to get what we deserve. Such as my son, he's an amazing artist. He can be a lot further if I was someone who was born, in, born into the world with money. But because I'm not, his success is taking longer than it should. And he had the potential to be further than where he's at. It's like already when you, as me growing up, when you first born into the world, the first thing against you is just like, you're not going to make it. You know, I've seen that conversation in my early, early years, you know, or you shouldn't speak that way or say that you know too much because you're black and because you know too much, no one's going to pay you any attention. Or if you're telling someone that something bad happened to you, no one's going to listen to you because you live in this community. You yeah. know, so I've seen it happen in my year. I've seen it happen in my years 
So that's why I do the work that I do and constantly do it. And I'm on call 24-8 because I was that child who, who needed that extra person just to be there. So I definitely know what our children need. And I feel like when I, back in my time growing up in the, you know, the early, the late 80s and early 90s, I feel like somewhat of 2020 is reliving those, those phases. So yeah. I feel like the world is kind of shifting back there. So, but great conversations is happening now with a lot of people that's on the ground. So that's a huge, um, a huge thing that I think um, it was going to start by communities to kind of empower each other to have these conversations and seeing how we can support our community as a whole. Then suppose it's waiting for elective officials, politicians, and all these people to come in and make change. Yeah. Yeah. That is... Um... The way I see the world, perfect world, it would be great if we paid taxes and those taxes went towards things that were helping all of us, especially people in the poorest and most marginalized communities um, and, and helping lift people out of poverty. But the fact of the matter is that's not what's happening in our society and we'd better not wait around mm -hmm. for it to happen. So... The only thing really to be done is a look out for yourself and try and enrich yourself mm -hmm. or b look out for your community and try and rise, try and raise everybody else in your community along with you. And, mm -hmm. you know, those those are really the choices that, that people are left with. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I strong that's one of the things that I try to hope that I'm doing Um that's one of the things that I value and that's my mission is to see, allow people to see that somebody can start the trend um, and inspire others to add on to that, you know. So I'm hoping that's what the message, message is in Red Hook when I'm out here because it's bigger than just me being out here getting, the, getting noticed and saying, Yo, you're, working, you're working extra hard, you need a vacation, you know. Some of that may be true, but the this whole thing is much bigger than me. I'm trying to do something, something bigger, hmm. and I'm hoping that I'm connecting with the community. I hope that they see that. It, it should be noted that Red Hook has, I think, the largest uh, public housing projects in in uh, in Brooklyn. Um, Absolutely. I think something like seventy percent of the residents of this neighborhood live in the houses. Um, so yes. it's, it's a huge, uh, portion, you know, the, the vast majority of this neighborhood lives in public housing. And so that's something mm -hmm. that is important for everybody who lives in this, uh, neighborhood to remember. If you can think of, uh, some snapshots of your childhood growing up, um, and what that felt like to be that kid who you knew you were smart, you knew you had things to give to the world, and mm -hmm. there, there just felt like, you know, it, it just seemed like there wasn't anything there for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, you know, it's, that's a good question. I always felt like the odds was against me growing up. I never felt like I was going to even make it this far. So to be very honest, I'm very grateful that I did make it this far because coming from, like I said, a home that was very, don't, don't get me wrong, my mother loved me, but 
as an adult, I get that. But as a child, it wasn't, I didn't understand what was happening. I didn't understand her sickness and being on drugs and her sickness of just allowing any and everyone in the home and just seeing people do drugs, you yeah. know, being me, me, myself being a drug baby, you know, being in ICU for the first few weeks of my life and the struggles that I had throughout that was, you know, it was challenging. So I, it's always been a struggle. You know, I always say I'm struggle wrapped in strength. I, I didn't, never knew that I would make it this far, but I knew that I wanted my children to have a better life. So once I had my son and then had my daughter, I knew that I had a better calling and I knew that I needed to focus on those things and making sure that they had somewhat of a better life. And I've been a young mom. You don't really have the experiences being a mom. You don't have the resources. You just go with the flow. And I literally went with the flow of learning from the streets and learning just what love and protection was and try to lead off of that. But, you know, I remember many nights taking the C train to Euclid to the last stop and then coming back, you know, because I didn't want to go where my mom was or the Covenant House wasn't a place where it was like you had your own space. You had to share spaces with other individuals who had children. So you you'll wake up one day and all your stuff would be stolen. So I just didn't want to put up with that. So the safest place for me was riding the train back and forth. And um, I learned a lot from, from those moments. Um, and then when I became of age, I just I was able to go into what they consider the EAU at the time, which is called the PATH now. So there's a place you go in the Bronx and you go, it's like emergency shelter system. And then they place you in these tier twos. The tier two is meaning that um, they accepted your application and they're working on giving you a voucher, which later on I wound up getting a voucher for Red Hook Houses and then moved in there. But, you know, I wanted, I didn't want my children ever to see the struggle. I don't think that they ever have because they spoil <laughs> they spoil you brats to this day. I don't even know. They, I tell them my stories now and they are just as amazed as a lot of people are because I try to hide all of the all of those things so that way it didn't bring any toxic to their learning and to their understanding of what they can do in the world. I didn't want to I wanted to change the pattern, change the cycle. And I think I did. My son, like I said, would be twenty three. My daughter would be twenty and they don't have any children. They are high school and college graduates and entrepreneurs and very loving children. Never been arrested or you know, dealt with any craziness. So I think I did that part. Um, and I'm here. Wow. Yeah. Um, when, so we know each other, um, cause I, I live in Red Hook and I came across the, uh, the Red Hook art project, uh, which did, you founded the Red Hook art project. I am not the founder. Um, I'm one of the co-founders, another, um, lady, um, named by the name of Deirdre Swords. She's no longer with the organization, but she's put in countless hours and just the great amount of support to get us to this journey to go on. So she moved on and, you know, she's taking on bigger and bigger things and different things that she want to accomplish in her life. She saw the potential in my son. She used to be a volunteer at the PS27 school on Hunterson, which is now 676. And she saw that potential in my son and just came over to me and said, hey, you know, I would like to give him personal art classes. So she would give some in my house. 
she would take him to his house and have uh, art classes in Coffee Park. And, you know, kids, they start to get bored. So as he got bored, he started to bring friends over that was from the Red Hook community. And by grace to God, these children as well had an artistic skill and was ready to get some stuff down on a canvas and some stuff on a mic. And, you know, she continued to pave the way for them. And, you know, I was like the parent coordinator, making sure kids got there, making sure parents knew what was going on with their children and things like that. And um, her being a white woman, me being a black woman, she didn't really understand the lack of resources. She knew there was an issue and she wanted to help. Um, but she had this big dream of all of these kids going to these art, these big art schools. And I had to like be the advocate and say, hey, this is all good. This can happen. But if we're not providing these resources, they're not going to have the opportunity to do so. So she understood what that was. And we canvassed the Red Hook community and found local artists that was willing to support the students with providing them portfolio prep and getting them prepared and learning how to do like landscapes and self uh, self portraits and you know still lives to prepare for those portfolios and by surprise not by surprise we knew we had no I had no doubt in my children I had doubts in the system that we was brought into so I knew that I couldn't afford or get him there without any resources or support from someone who had who can do it and that was the woman who's the founder, which is Deirdre Swords. And she did that, you know, and she allowed us to go on, you know, with serving a great amount of students that we got accepted to great high schools, colleges, and middle schools. And we're still here. We're 12 years strong and excited to be doing the work and especially excited to be able to shift gears really quickly during COVID doing the coronavirus and being able to show up for our community by providing, you know, care packages and food resources to the community and be, and still being able to provide some art classes to our um, high school students. Yeah. So we're really excited about that. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. That was going to be one of my questions about uh, transitioning from what the Red Hook Art Project was normally doing to the, to the COVID response that you've been doing lately. Yeah, that it was a challenge because, you know, uh, the coronavirus is very new to a lot of us. Nobody really had any kind of clear understanding of what was happening. But when they announced that the DOE was closing, I knew something was going down. I knew like I had to like think really quick on how we're going to move forward um, because the DOE don't close, <laughs> you know. So when they close, you know that something is hitting damn fan and you better act swiftly and to keep these children off the streets and protected. Um, so I already knew food was a huge uh, lack in our community. There was a huge need for that because those are some of the services we was providing to some of our families and possibly their neighbors and their other uh, and their families. So I knew that that was an area where I needed to, I needed to make sure as an individual who grew up hungry, I needed to make sure that there was resources to get food into the community. And, you know, that's what I was able to do. And I also wanted to make sure the children had an opportunity to still take their art classes, although it's very challenging. But sometimes the challenging things are the things that get you to succeed more. It's not those with the most money who succeed, but it's those who adapt to change really quickly to succeed. So I wanted them to be have a clear understanding that things change in a snap of a heartbeat. So you have to be willing to grow with that if you really uh, value the things that you do. Yeah. So 
I, I wanted mean, to be able to provide that. That's mm -hmm. a thing that I think just doesn't even occur to a lot of people. Um, and I'll admit, uh, I don't remember how old I was um, when, when I sort of pieced it together that, oh, there's kids who go to public school and the school lunch is the only real meal that they have all day. You know, and mm -hmm. and they go home for the weekend and there's no food in the house, you know, and and so because that was never a thing for me and it just never occurred to me. And mm -hmm. so when you're talking about just the most basic shit like that um, and then think about it in terms of like, I mean, I can barely function if I skip lunch. You know, like I have mm -hmm. I have a full like hangry meltdown at 3 p.m. if I skip lunch, you know, and, and so mm -hmm. to be expected to perform in any capacity at work, at school, um, much less building an artist portfolio when you haven't eaten anything is just I mean, it's just an impossibility. Yeah, it's um, that's definitely one of the challenges or even like me, you know, growing up and needing reading glasses, but no one noticing it because my mom has such a drug addiction that she wasn't able to take me to the eye doctor. She wasn't able to take me to the dentist. So those are things that as an adult, I still struggle with in trying to make sure that I can get those things taken care of because it was such, it was something that was neglected as a child. And then it was neglected. I, when you don't know something, you don't do it, you know? Yeah. So I went out. But I knew that I want my kids to go to the doctors. I knew that I want their immunizations to be up to date. I knew I wanted them to have the, you know, to be able to have blood work done so I can know what was happening with them, you know. So those are the things that I provided for them. But those wasn't the services that was provided to me, you know. So yeah, I mean, it's those things. Queer Eye is is a really, you know, it's a famous, uh, really, really popular show with everybody, and you know, people like it because of the feel good story of. Uh, these people getting a makeover and finding confidence in themselves and finding a, uh, you know, finding a way to advocate for themselves and what they want in, in their life. And it's a spiritual transformation, right? Mm -hmm. But underneath all of that, they don't even mention how much money they spend on all of mm -hmm. the stuff that they buy for them. It's a material transformation before anything. And mm -hmm. so, you know, that's what is really at the core of so much of it is just is just straight up resources. Mm -hmm. um, so let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about. Um, you know, the the the, the trials and tribulations and, and uh, the triumphs of of. Uh, what you've been doing over the last uh, 12 years and, and the students, the kids you've met and, and watching them grow and, and become, you know, full-fledged uh, artists or whatever they want to do. It's really amazing to see some students that started with son. And like I said, my son would be 23. So there's about five of them kids that, you know, they still stay in contact with me. Some of them don't live in Rahuk. They moved on. Well, you know, um, went on to the army or the navy or whatever they decided to go, but they still keep in contact and still let me know what was going on with them, and that's amazing to kind of see and just to know that the next generation of students were paving the way, and they seeing that. And a lot of the students call me their second mom. There's a lot of parents who 
you know, trust me enough to know that they're at work and that their kids are, or if like a parent can't go to the schools to get the kids report card or there's an emergency at the school and the parent really can't get to the school um, and they trust to me to go. And that's one thing that I like about the foundation that we built with this organization because it, it gives, gives me the opportunity to actually be a mom. It gives me the opportunity to support parents who may not, cannot support their kids in a way that they would like to because of time and it's not on their side because of finances. It's not on their side and they have to work two and three jobs because they are, they are a single parent. So being able to provide those services to a parent who's really trying their best to make sure their kid is succeeding and really trying their best to make sure their kid is staying safe in these streets and trying to uplift them to become better than they was, it's, it's, it's phenomenal to me. And those are areas that I, I strongly look forward to um, continuing to do in these children's lives um, and be the impact and letting them know that this, is, this organization is theirs. You know, I'm not going to be here for long, but I would like to make sure that there is a foundation built for them to have a job in their community and pave the way for the next generation of students. So that's what I would like to see happen. Uh, there was just recently a March, um, earlier this month, um, through Red Hook, and, and I believe you were involved in it um, yes. in, in some capacity. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? I know you were on, uh, you, you popped up, I, was, I didn't even expect you, you were on an episode of uh, This American Life, and there you were. Yes. <laughs> Super cool. So in the beginning, I um, I was not for the protest. And not meaning like I'm for the protest to make sure that, you know, people understand that Black Lives Matter. Right. You're, you're for them in it, the spirit of the protest, but yes, the neighborhood but I didn't especially. Like, yeah, it was just kind of weird because someone had posted um, of leading a protest in one of the Facebook groups and it wasn't a woman or a man of color. Um, and I, it got me a little frustrated, but I understood where she was coming from when she decided to like protest at the same time. These are the areas where you can't lead by the power of your your voice and the privilege of your skin tone. This is where you have to be an ally and reach out to the leaders that you know that are black and brown and have a conversation with them and asking them where they need you to stand, where they need you to lead at, where can they do to help you to get the message across. So it was kind of like a sort of a kind of a pushback, although there was good intentions in it, but not understanding your privilege and your power is, is something that needs to be recognized. Um, and I don't think that a lot of people understood that. And I didn't want to go into depth about certain things because sometimes I feel like people, if you want to be an ally, those are things that you research, those are things you, di you dig deep down and ask yourself questions. So when you say that that's what you are, that means that you're supposed to have the same kind of language and movement and energy around it. So I didn't really want to go into depth about all of that. But I also, when I first heard of it and the name on it was like the new Dick Riders or something, I was a little confused by the group that was leading it. So I was like, who the hell is this? You know, so I'm like, no, we can't have this happen. Like, yeah. I don't know who these people are. It doesn't seem like a very uh, positive name. Um, for someone who wants to protest, so I was a little confused by it. So I was like, oh, no, wait a minute, we can't do that. And then, like, the day before or two days before, someone had got shot in the head. And, you know, just knowing the how the housing is under construction is like, it's like a death trap. And knowing that how different projects are against different projects. So, so many things, so many different things are running through my head. Yeah. But once I found out who these individuals was, I was like, oh, okay, I know who these guys are. 
I, I, I can see it. And then once we got on the phone and got on Zooms, which I felt that too, which also led me to be part of the protest more because I felt like the children leading Wild Black was put into uncomfortable situations just to lead a protest when no one ever get on Zoom calls or organize as much as they wanted these young um, leaders to organize around. And then there were some conversations on the Zoom calls that made me uncomfortable because it was questions being asked to him that wasn't being asked to the individual who originally said they want to do a protest in the community. So I also felt some kind of like, this is still racism happening all over again. You're asking him how he's going to lead and how he's going to um, figure out the coronavirus and how people are going to distance themselves. But that was never the question to the individual who posted on the group page. It was all like, let's go, let's make flyers. So, you know, those are the things that kind of of pushed me back to like, wait, what's going on here? We can't be, you know, so... And then once the guy decided to share the kids' names and pictures to um, the NYPD for whatever reasons he had, I won't argue what was his reasons. As a parent, I was very concerned about that. And I only could look at it from a parent's perspective because when the police is killing these kids, I'm looking at it as me being a mom to that kid yeah. or that young man who just died. For context, through it, so there was a, um, there was a Facebook group uh, somebody posted uh, the pictures and names of one of uh, some of the organizers uh, yes. to the to the police, um, yes. and I, I think from what I understood is it it was well intentioned in order to just be like, hey, we're working with you, and like here's who these people are or something. I don't really know. Um, I, I wasn't super, uh, you know. I'm, I'm hearing most of that stuff secondhand, but just to give the listeners yeah. some context for what that was the language from me as a parent felt a little bit uncomfortable it felt more like a target situation Mm. and again i don't know people language people grow up in different situations so it's always language barriers and understanding the people so i'm not going to pretend that i knew where he was coming from but from my lens it just was very uncomfortable to see young boys and young girls my children age pictures being to the nypd about a protest when they're already killing black people yeah um, the good news is the protest went very well. I, I was there. It went very and it well. Was, it was beautiful. It was peaceful. It was, it was a really, uh, it was a really well done march. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, to know that it was done by, I just like what, 22 year old kid, um, 22. Mm-hmm. pretty, pretty outstanding. Um, I'm trying to get him on the show, <laughs> by the way, I understand he's very busy right now, but, um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was really, it was really inspiring. And, you know, like I'd be lying if I said I didn't have some trepidation myself about, um, a protest kicking off in Red Hook too, just because, I mean, I love this neighborhood so much and, you know, like I, I'm of course down for the cause of all of it, but I I think I was kind of with you where I was just like, yeah, but I mean, I don't Mm -hmm. want. I don't want the I don't want the cops to flip out and this to descend into a riot. I don't want any of that shit to happen here. Like it's just mm-hmm. you know, like I don't want that I don't want to see that happen. So no. um fortunately it didn't and, and everything, you know, went went really well. Since you you do so much for everybody, for uh, for the community, for, for so many people around you, um and you're carrying with you so much personal history, personal, uh, uh, just stuff, trauma, all of that shit. 
Um, what do you do for uh, self care, for self maintenance, and you know to keep yourself from burning out? Mm -hmm. Well, I like to uh, burn candles. I burn a lot of candles. Um, I like to read my Bible. I like to listen to music. Um, I like to go to the spa. I also like to, you know, getting my nails done, my feet done, and just taking long walks. And I'm now stepping into bike riding. So bike riding has become a mm. huge thing for me now. So, yeah. Has um, meditation or therapy ever been a, a thing you've delved into? Yeah. So I did therapy for some time. And then um, I stopped going because I got my schedule got so busy. But that was also a huge part of um, opening up and releasing a lot of different things that was um, triggering for me that when I used to talk about, I couldn't get through the whole thing, you know, without choking up or saying I need a force or whatever. Now that I went through all of those different phases with my therapist and she's still on call if I need her, I just don't go to her as much. I'm able to have conversations that it's comfortable for me to have and getting my story out there. So like now I'm currently working on a documentary of my life story to kind of, I feel like it's time for me to tell the whole thing. So that's one of the areas that I want to focus on. It would, it would be quite a story. It would be quite a story. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about um, people, other people who inspire you, uh, such as, uh, you know, community leaders, spiritual leaders, uh, political leaders, or just people from your life, from your history, who uh, you try and uh, emulate, model yourself after in terms of what you do uh, with, you know, with, uh, your work, your activism. Mm -hmm. So I will be very honest with you. Um, I have one, t two teachers, one, my fourth grade teacher, Miss Smith, and then my fifth grade teacher, Miss Carrie. Those are the true teachers that saw what I, what I was going through in life and kind of, you know, took me under their wing. I remember going to both their houses, them buying me my clothes and talking with me. I remember like my teacher, Miss Carrie, she had wrote a poem for me, and to this day, I still remember the poem. <laughs> I actually teach the poem to younger students to kind of inspire them to, to go on and believe in themselves. Um, and that poem always stuck with me um, from the fifth grade until this day. Um, that allows me to believe in myself and allows me to continue to go on. Um, and my children, I have to say my children because my son, for one, he showed me that you can live your dream. You don't have to settle. You don't have to, you know, work these odds and end job. You don't have to like, of course, money rules the world. It, it helps you, but you don't have to worry about money, worry about your passion, worry about what you love and strive for it. And he's the true meaning of that. Everything this kid talked about as a young kid, he have done, you know, my daughter, um, she went through some really tough times in her younger uh, childhood as a young woman, um, a young female at the time who, no woman should have to ever have to go through and her strength and courage is just phenomenal and watch her go on and I've seen adults break down from situations like this and just to see her go on and not let that stop her and then graduate high school a year early to later on going to cosmetology school to later on becoming a business owner of her own lash company they really show really inspire me um, yeah. I haven't really been around too many successful black people besides like you know the norm Martin Luther King Rosa Parks and I, I, I appreciate them 
but I'm talking about making new history with individuals on the ground now. Um, I haven't really um, been around a lot of different successful women. I'm now starting to be in spaces with successful women on social media due to COVID and um, more stuff is on social media because people are now working remotely. So you get to see more stuff. Um, yeah, so I would say number one is my two children and my two teachers. I really love that answer because I was half expecting, you know, to, yeah, you just cite, you know, some, some writers or, or famous people. Um, but the fact that you're so inspired by uh, just teachers and just people in your life, um, that is the whole, that's the whole shebang, right? That's the whole philosophy mm -hmm. is that you don't have to be uh, this uh, amazing historical figure to make a difference in somebody's life and to really mm -hmm. change the course of somebody's life like they did for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like I'm always excited to hear about great leaders like, you know, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, and I get that. I respect them. They opened the, opened the door in a lot of different ways for us to have opportunities and I always would respect them. But I also believe that in this day and age, it's also about that new history and how do we create our new history? How do we rewrite our his, our own history of individuals that's alive right now? And then how does that impact others yeah. to do the same thing? You know, so that's what I believe should be going on. So Absolutely. Um, well, thank you, Tiffany, so much for, for being on uh, the show. Um, this was a really amazing talk. Um, do you, I, I always like to let my guests uh, promote uh, whatever they have going on um you know social media or or however you want people to uh find you and 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 what you do yeah well you know i'm on facebook um at tiffany davis tiffany spelled the unique way t-i-f-f-i-n-e-y davis d-a-v-i-s on social media facebook um and you know for all the women out there who love wearing lipstick i have a lipstick line and Feel free to shop with me. <laughs> and thank you for this opportunity. I definitely appreciate it. And it feels good when you're able to have these conversations and get it out there to more and more people, and especially to individuals that may not look like you or may not ex have the same experience, but because it brings awareness and it, it starts a conversation. So I appreciate that. Thanks once again to Tiffany Davis. What an inspiring person. Um, just really, just, I don't know. Just, I, I'm, 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 I'm speechless. I'm, I, I got nothing. Uh, I got no smart ass wisecracks, no nothing right now. Um, be good to each other. Patreon.com slash selfworst. You know the drill. Uh, music is by Shea Bartell. Thank you, Shay. Um, theme song is by Shea Bartel and me. I wrote, I, I don't tell people this very often. I wrote the words to the theme song. Did you know that? I did. Um, but he, he sang it and he did everything. So it's really his song. Anyway, um, follow me on Twitter. I'm at Bradical Pearson. Um, follow the, the show on social media. We're uh, on Instagram at selfworst on Instagram. Um, you can find out updates about the show there. And uh, that's about it. I'm Brad Pearson. Until next time, go out and fail. It's good for you.